This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Eric Anderson, Editor-in-Chief of Awards Watch, is with us. Our gang of two is back. Thank you so much for being here again. Thanks for having me. Let's get on it. Let's get on it. So you haven't conceded to anyone or anything this week? I have I have nothing to concede to. <laughs> I, I won. I won the election. You did. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I'll just make a note of that for next time. Anyway, lovely to talk to you. Let's start with the news from the trenches this past um, few weeks since we talked last. There's been some big news. I wanted to start with the Wonder Woman news. Tell us about that. Well, I think it's what people were expecting and Disney has been, or I'm sorry, Warner Brothers has been really kind of cagey about how they were going to manage any, anything from a fall or winter slate. They had already pulled Dune off for next year. Uh, they hadn't at this point had any any information on Judas and the Black Messiah, like a date or what they were going to do with that. So this last week, they announced that they would do a simultaneous release of Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters and on HBO Max, same day, on Christmas Day, which is pretty, uh, it's unheard of, kind of. It's But at, at the same time, in the era of closed theaters and COVID and everything that's happening, I, I don't know how much can be unheard of anymore. Right. So I think I think the expectation and the hope was that this was going to happen, uh, but they needed to see more examples of it pretty clearly uh, before they were going to do it themselves. So what's unheard of is the fact that they're it's the same day. Yeah. Yes. So what other place? What other studios? are attempting to do is still a bit of a theatrical window even if it's only like two weeks long and you know it's 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 the right thing to do because you know we just had another round of theater closures in LA because of spiking again it's going to continue it's not just going to stop you know on January 1st or January 20th for that matter so it's studios have to they have to make these decisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think we've talked about this before that when you have these $200 million movies, there really then is no way to recoup the cost of those. If you are just going to go to your, your streaming platform and HBO max as great as a, as a platform it is, because it has such a phenomenal library of films. Uh, have still run into a lot of issues of... It was a really bad rollout. It was a really bad rollout, which is tragic because, like I said, it's a fantastic lineup of, of content that they have. And it, it just, it, it constantly missed the mark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So hopefully, and I know they're hoping, that this announcement is going to bring in a whole bunch of new subscribers. Uh, I mean... Maybe you remember too when when the whole rollout of HBO Max was happening, and you know your HBO Go was going to be you know shelved forever, and it would turn into HBO Max. But 
people didn't know if they were getting it or if they had to pay for it if they were at HBO. It was really so confusing. I remember it was really disastrous. So you know they need to do a better job, and they're going to need a lot more new subscribers between now and Christmas to help offset the cost of something like Wonder Woman. Right. How much does Warner Brothers? How much do you think they'll lose on this? It's it's funny because it's not you know since it takes place in 1984 it's not like uh it's it's a movie that requires urgency for viewing you could really hold this movie till whenever but i think they also obviously had to look at at the tenet rollout and 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 what happened with that because worldwide the numbers were pretty good but obviously in the states you know it it topped at like 50 million and that was as best as as it was going to be able to do so i think I think they'll do okay with it because there will be international numbers that will help offset the cost. But, you know, when, when you're talking about a movie costing $200 million, what you're really saying is that it costs four to $500 million when you include marketing and, and, and post, uh, post-production costs. So in order to, to clear and become profitable, you know, it has to push into the $750 million. And no movie is able to make that right now. And it's also interesting because the fact that they're doing theatrical at the same time must mean that they will be eligible for the Oscars. Oh, absolutely. And I had taken Wonder Woman out of all of my predictions uh, until they were going to make some kind of announcement. And then they did and it's back in. So it's, it's going to be one of the few big blockbuster type movies that was released this year and or in time. So I think it's I think it could do pretty well in those below the line categories. Yeah, because besides Tenet, I mean everyone else of those big blockbuster 200 million movies, they've all moved. Mhm. Oh, and the the international release of the film is actually uh the 16th, December 16th. So we'll we'll see what that's going to look like before we get to Christmas Day. Interesting. That's like the new the new world here. Anything else? I'm hearing that Nomadland might do a very limited one week release in December. I think it's December fourth is is the date that it had held on to, uh, and then it's going to get pulled and not released wider until like February, like mid February, which I think is a really big mistake. I think you're you're missing an opportunity for the average film goer to be able to see these movies before you know nominations and before uh, Guild and Critics Awards come out because this is the thing that always is frustrating for the casual viewer of the Oscars is that mm-hmm. by the time they get to you know nominations or even the show sometimes they're like I've never heard of this movie I've never I, seen it yeah yeah I've never seen this so why would I root for this movie. So that means that Nomadland won't be going up on any streamers. I mean, it's even more difficult this year, the fact that, that most movie theaters won't have these movies. It's even more difficult than a typical year. Well, this is this is another issue with, you know, a huge studio kind of falling behind on on the ability to do something really smart and financially clever. And that's Disney has not created a a, a section within Disney Plus for R-rated films and for adult fare that would just, you know, require a simple 
you know, parental passcode or whatever it is that. Yeah, because everything there has to be PG-13. Yes. And there is no reason why that they could not do this for Nomadland and have their 20th century and their searchlight uh, sections of Disney Plus and that certain films are only accessible with uh, codes or whatever it is that they they feel that they need to do. And then they would have it. Then they would have the the opportunity to stream Nomadland earlier. I don't know why they don't do it. Well, they can't think of everything. I know. <laughs> but they should. I mean, all they think about is money. All the Baby Yoda <laughs> merchandise that has to get out and out. <laughs> which, they, which they also were behind on. No. Oh, my God. Well, let's, let's move on. There's a few movies that, have, that are upcoming movies that I wanted to talk a little bit about because they're getting so much buzz um, that will be out soon. Most of them are Netflix <laughs> or Disney+, Plus, but these, these are all on, on streamers, so you'll be able to see them. I wanted to get your thoughts on Mank. I love Mank. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's, <laughs> it got a little more mixed response than I was expecting to, I think. It's, it got hit with a lot of the it's cold kind of comments, which I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what what they were expecting, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, I do think that Orson Welles fans will be really angry when they see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pauline Kael fans less so. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really liked it. I think Amanda Seyfried is fantastic. I absolutely love her in it i think arles howard's amazing i think tom pelfrey is great tom pelfrey is an actor that the as i was watching and especially in in near the end you know because it's shot in black and white and it's in mono sound to try and feel you know like a 30s or 40s film he could have been like a 30s or 40s actor Mm. with like he was the only person actually that really like transported me in, into that place as much as Amanda Seyfried was yeah, too. Yeah, she but, was good. Yeah, but she's great. And we need a Marion Davies movie. Let's like just I her. No, that's the story. No, I thought that was so interesting. It's a movie for me in in every sense. I mean, I understand that it'll be a hard sell for anyone who hasn't seen Citizen Kane. I mean, I didn't find it cold at all. I found it to be just this loving portrait of cinema, an incredible story of credit and, you know, who gets credit on a movie, finally a movie about the screenwriter. It's about addiction and also so timely with the whole fake news angle, um, Mm -hmm. Fincher perfection in every frame of the movie. (laughs) So, um, uh, I mean, I understand that it's not for everyone. So that's, I wouldn't sell it as that, but can you imagine having that on your shoulders that you're doing a movie about a, the movie that's supposed to be the best movie ever made? I know. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the great things about it. And I think why, at least for me, why it's so successful is that it's not trying to imitate uh, Citizen no. Kane. It's not, and it's not even about the making of Citizen Kane. And that's what, you know, before we really knew, that's kind of what, that was like our- That was the story, yeah. That was the, the, the log line. And then we're like, oh, okay, cool. We're going to get to see all this behind the scenes stuff of, of the making of the movie. And that is not what it's about. I mean, there's some loving send-offs to Citizen Kane when he ta- when he drops his bottle of um, yes, of alcohol course. that looks exactly like the drop of the 
glass figurine there, whatever it is. Yes, there are a few motifs, but not so many that it becomes like really cloying. But in terms of Oscar, it's such an incredible um, race now in Best Actor. I thought Gary Oldman is phenomenal, but he's up against Chadwick Boseman for a posthumous Oscar for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which where he is terrific, as well yeah. as Anthony Hopkins in The Father, which I haven't seen. You've also said he does an incredible job as a man in the throes of dementia. What is this race? Tell me. It's a really, really fun race. Um, And yeah, Hopkins, and I said it when I first saw it, that this is a man with a 60 plus year career, and this is the best work of his life. Wow. And I, I, I can't even say that like hyperbole. It's just... I've never seen him do anything like what he does in this. And that is such a great sign because there are plenty of actors that can fall back on, on certain types of behaviors and, and performances and you feel very comfortable with it. And even to a certain extent, Hopkins had done that post like Amistad or something. And, and this, was, this was just in another realm. And you can say the same thing for... Chadwick Boseman, even with a smaller career, but he has played these black icons, James Brown. And I mean, he's just, he was Mm -hmm. kind of like the go-to guy. And this gets to be a role in a character that feels so different and original for him. And he absolutely just eviscerates it. So Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is is a um, based on an August Wilson play about the day in the life of blues artist Ma Rainey and her band. It was actually one of my favorites um, this year. And Chadwick Boseman, he has two monologues. Mm-hmm. I was blown away, really. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's an outstanding film. And it's really interesting how many play to film adaptations we have this year. We're just talking about the father and Ma Rainey, both plays that were adapted for film. And they one night in Miami too as well, right? And one night in Miami. And they all take slightly different approaches to it, where the majority of, of the father is only in the apartment. The majority of Ma Rainey is just in the recording studio building uh but does break out a little bit with the the tents in georgia and some street scenes but i don't know if if and and one night miami too also actually really expands out Mm -hmm. from the hotel room i don't always think that a film adaptation has to do that but i think sometimes the director will feel like they have to do it to avoid the the quote-unquote stagey comments and criticisms that play adaptations can get. And certainly, you know, any of the, the ones this year have have been plagued by that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I really kind of push back on it because I enjoy the, the feeling of sometimes claustrophobia or locked-in nature of a story that just is people talking in a room. You, you get to really kind of explore the the cinematography of of space in a room the space between two characters 
Well, I thought Ma Rainey was so successful in terms of that because also the colors, the the the, the sort of feel of the movie were so strong, and 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 the fact that he has, or not just him, there's several, there's some incredible good monologues by Viola Davis as well. So the camera circling around, as you say, in this claustrophobic, and you really are looking at their faces when they're doing these monologues. I thought it was very successful played a movie. Yeah, I I think George Wolfe, who is a Tony-winning Broadway director, did a fantastic job. I think he, I haven't done my predictions yet, but we'll see them in a few days. Uh, But I do think he is a top five contender this year. I do too. Which would be awesome. And Fincher as well, of course, right? Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And Sorkin? Um, I'm not sure. I, Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm toying with, with a few, because, you know, it's early, it's only November, which is, you know, a, it's a different November than it Considering would be. Considering the Oscars are in April, it's a lot. Exactly, yeah. in a normal year. But um, I'm toying with a very different top five than than I think most people. Well, come on, tell us. Um, I, th- I think that Cornel Mondrusco has a fantastic chance of getting in for Pieces of a Woman. And I know that there are also some mixed feelings about that film, but not not from my side. I, th- I think it's an extraordinarily directed film. And Vanessa Kirby, who is the lead yeah. in that film, that she's a shoe in for Best Actress, right? Absolutely. She's like right now. It's Viola, Francis, and Vanessa. Really, mm-hmm. those are those are the three. It's going to be an interesting year. There. I mean, I've said it and I'll say it again. There's so many good movies in this very, very weird year. But let's talk about a movie that has getting a little bit mixed results. And that's Hillbilly Elegy, Ron Howard's movie, um, where uh, we have two actresses, Amy Adams and Glenn Close, who between them have been nominated and lost more times than I don't know what they really I hold some sort of record and I have the feeling that both of them were really hoping that this would be the movie at the right time. Um, tell me about the reactions to that. So this was, you know, a, a best-selling novel, a, a semi-autobiographical book, and it was one of those on paper, you know, you know, these roles are fantastic. And of course you can win an Oscar, but the reality of it is looking a little dreary. The response to it, I I think the response to it was a little exaggerated. The hate for it, a little bit exaggerated. I think um, there hadn't been, I guess, a lot of really bad movies. So I, I think the knives were out and ready for one. And strangely enough, politics of the book from J.D. Vance are basically eliminated from the film. Mm -hmm. So there are almost no politics whatsoever to kind of zero in on or attack. But it didn't, it didn't matter because the, the reviews and the response was just so, so savage. I don't, I liked a lot of it. I liked a lot of, of the film. I think it is a, gorgeous looking film it's beautifully shot it's beautifully scored i i like both amy adams and glenn close in it and it's so funny because as you know oscar watchers and and film fans and you know lovers of actresses and crazy performances you're not going to get more scenery chewing 
madness than than this and especially amy adams in it you know i mean when was the last time that amy adams was shooting heroin in her foot you know in a truck stop bathroom never so you're only going to get to see that here not since enchanted i mean exactly really so Uh, it's 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 this weird but they really go for it i mean no they really really go for it you have to be prepared for you know (laughs) from the wig to the you know it's 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 a lot is and i and i think i think the movie would have been better served actually as only uh the the stuff with adams and and close and the younger jd vance right i think it did not it did not need any of the you know him trying to get a job and going to yale that could have been a simple epilogue title card at the end yeah, and the very meaningless girlfriend who's just sort of calling him on the phone all the time. I agree. I think there's certain things that could have been just taken away there. Yeah, I think there was a more compelling story there because every time it left that and it also plays with uh, timing a lot, very unsuccessfully, I just didn't think it needed that. No. You know, if you were already going to remove all the politics out of it, then just remove him too. Right. And in terms of, of Glenn Close, at the end of the movie, you see pictures of the real Ma, Mima or Mama? What Mama. Mama, right. And you can see that it's, they've abs, it's absolutely identical and she's really, you know, gone total method on her. I think it would have been well served if she would have taken that down just a little bit so that you aren't, weren't always thinking about you know, not being able to actually feel because I was always looking at her performance. I think she does. I think she has served a little bit better than Adams in this because by comparison, Close is more subtle um, (laughs) than Adams. Adams is at at 11 at every single moment. Yeah. There's, there's, there are not a lot of variances in her performance. And it's not, that's not like a, a, a dig on her because I did like it. I liked seeing Adams do something so completely out of her wheelhouse. Uh, I like when any actor does, even if they're not successful at it, I, you know, I will still applaud them for doing it. And, and Adams really does that here. So in comparison to Close, Close does feel like she is nurturing a performance and she is she is the the heart of this. She's the heart. Yes. I would have wanted to see more of her and her. And the son. Yeah, I, I would have too, because we do we just get that little tiny bit of, you know, lighting her husband on fire. Yeah. And <laughs> and the, the <laughs> everything is at eleven in this movie. And I say that and then laugh because the tone of that moment is so really awkward. Yeah, it. but in terms of, will they get nominated? Um, I think Glenn Close still does. I mean, I had her at number one for a long, long time because it was, it was like I said, it was, it was like one of the best good on paper predictions that you could make this year. And I mean, she's slowly kind of dropping down the list mm-hmm. for me. I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle. Adams, I don't, I don't see a path for anymore. Oh, they have the two of them with their nominations. There will be an Oscar one day. <laughs> I, maybe, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, and I think Fincher may get his first Oscar, which is absolutely unbelievable that he doesn't have one at this point. But um, let's Well, see. maybe, we'll see. Okay, okay, I'm waiting for your <laughs> list. 
So I just want to quickly mention there's two movies that I'm hearing so much buzz about that I I have this prediction, see if you, you think I have any point in this, um, that will move up, be the sort of small movies that could. I know last time we talked about Minari, and I'm sure it's still up there, but I am hearing so much about Sound of Metal and Supernova. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, so I've seen both of those, and I hope and I want Sound of Metal to be exactly that. I want it to be the little movie that could. Uh, Tell us about what that's about. Oh, my God. Uh, Riz Ahmed plays a drummer in a punk band who very quickly begins to lose his hearing. And the way that the film presents that, I think we've, we've seen and heard a lot of uh, movies that, that present deafness or being hard of hearing, you know, with muffled Mm -hmm. sounds and all of that kind of thing. We've seen that before. And there are, that is in this as well, but it is such a complicated sound design in this movie. And the movie also provides subtitles so that we can obviously see what people are saying, but it's the bridge between the two for the viewer, uh, between Rizumet and, you know, anyone that he's talking to. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's such a fantastic performance because yeah. it's also about addiction. It is about desperation. He's, he's just an actor that has been building this fantastic uh, uh, repertoire. And he's already an Emmy winner, so he's not like a total unknown. He should be an Oscar nominee already for Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think he has a outstanding chance of getting in i think amazon is doing the right thing with it it's gotten a lot of interviews very specific interviews there's there's the you know the actor interviews and then there's the director sound designer interviews together which is really really smart the sound categories this year are combined they they eliminated you know sound mixing and sound editing and right. have put them back together into one. Well, this has to get in there, right? I I think it makes it a little more difficult. I think it makes it difficult for anybody because obviously there's half as many nominations that you can get. But yes, I think for a for a movie and a story that is so intrinsically about sound, I don't know how you you wouldn't get that. Plus, there's a lot of big names behind it because Darius Martyr, the director, his first feature really was incredibly thoughtful about how the sound was going to be presented and and who was going to do it. And I think Amazon is doing a fantastic job. And well, hopefully he'll, we'll see how they can push Riz all the way over the top to get into a nomination. I think so. And what about Supernova? I'm hearing that Stanley Tucci could get a supporting. Yeah. So, I mean, they've decided to do a, a lead supporting push even though both Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are co-leads mm-hmm. and it's, it's a gay story as well between Carol and Brokeback Mountain and almost any time that we see an LGBTQ relationship when it comes to award strategy, there's a lot of dishonesty there, mm-hmm. which is, which is yeah. unfortunate. Me- meaning, meaning that it's easier to separate uh, two co-leads in order 
to have a higher chance of getting nominations than it is to try and push two people in lead because in the same category. Yeah. yeah, two lead actor nominations or two lead actress nominations used to be really common and now are extremely, extremely rare, uh, almost impossible. So they're just playing the odds, and I get it. I, I, I don't honestly have that many qualms with category fraud and all of that stuff when it comes to uh, strategic awards planning. I just, I just don't. Um, but it does fall prey to, to LGBTQ uh, stories quite often. But why, why would it do that? I don't know. It just, mm-hmm. it just does. It's mm-hmm. not really that much more Colin Firth's story than it is Stanley Tucci's. Um, I know you can make an argument that, that it is based on screen time, but it's really, really small. So I, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm always on the, I'm, I'm, I'm a little on the fence about it. Okay. I'm a little on the fence, okay, but he's great. He's great. And, and one other interesting thing is that Stanley Tucci, Anthony Hopkins, both play yes. Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, and yeah. we could also have Dick Johnson. Yeah. In, in Dick Johnson is dead in the documentary category, which also is about Alzheimer's. And there's definitely a theme here. It is. And this is one of the kind of fascinating things about this is that we haven't really had, I mean, we had, we've had some in the past, a more, the Julie Christie movie uh, was away from her. Right, right. Um, and Julianne Moore. And Julianne Moore. It's it's becoming a little easier to talk about, I guess, than 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 previously. I guess it's. I'm I'm. I mean, I'm glad for it. It is a subject that befalls many, many, many families. So I think yes. it's. I think it's great to explore. I think it's difficult to do as well without feeling either exploitative or. I don't know, maybe misrepresented because mm-hmm. I think you can misrepresent certain types of ailments or diseases, autism or Asperger's or something. And then it starts to feel like, like weird actorly ticks. And, and so I, I think maybe that might be part of the reason that, that presenting dementia has been a, a difficult thing for, for movies to do uh, both delicately and respectfully. Now, I haven't seen Hopkins yet in The Father. I, I understand from you that, that it's really... Oh, my God. But I thought that um, Dick Johnson was a very interesting and respectful and irreverent and in every way um, depiction mm-hmm. of dementia that I hadn't seen before. That's a brilliant documentary. So next time we talk, we can go into even more categories because we've covered a bunch here. But I just wanted, before I let you go, are there any other big themes that you're seeing in terms of the award race? Well, even even though Jennifer Hudson's Aretha Franklin movie dropped out entirely, you know, and moved to like August of 2021, there was this, we had three black blues singers and R&B singer movies all happening at the same time with Ma Rainey and Respect when it was coming out in February and the United States versus Billie Holiday with mm-hmm. Andre Day, which we are just starting to see little bits and pieces of. Uh, Vanity Fair had a fantastic uh, exclusive piece with new images and photos that were absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Lee Daniels dropped a few of them uh, on his Instagram. And so we're just kind of like, we're waiting. We want to see something. We want a, a teaser or a trailer. And will that be out in, in time for this Oscars? 
So it should be. I think it's going to be mid-February. It does have a UK release date to qualify for BAFTA and all that. So I don't see any reason why it wouldn't hear. That tipped the hand a little bit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it was that it was going to be, but yeah, I think it's probably going to be mid February. Well, Eric, thank you so much. We're you know getting closer, even though it's much farther than usual. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels that way. Yeah, it's like it's like we're moving in some sort of Christopher Nolan tenant. Like <laughs> that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good comparison. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again, and talk to you soon. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, yeah, and you too. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.